thread. God's truth tying together all the pieces of your life. Thread is the broadcast of Dr. Chuck Quinley. Hi, I'm Chuck Quinley, and welcome to Thread, episode 87, the Ministry of Inclusion. And I should start off today by saying Happy New Year. And some people say, well, it's not New Year, it's, it's like almost five months into the year. Well, in Thailand, we have a different calendar than uh, people in the West, and so this is our New Year's celebration, and New Year's in Thailand is a ruckus celebration like it is in many places. Uh, But part of it is people in the streets with big buckets of water. And as you pull through them, they pour water all over you. And and in the ancient way of thinking, this is a way of washing off all the bad things and all the bad luck and everything negative about the last year and letting you start this year uh, fresh and clean. But in reality, it's just a wild street party. I'm talking about thousands of people out in the street. But as we went out today, and I was on a motorcycle, and as I came to, I'm, you got to get a picture of it. It's thousands of people on both sides of the road with 50-gallon drums of water, and they are just, everybody that comes by is just getting buckets, sometimes half a gallon at a time, dumped on them. And when they look up and they see my face and that I'm a foreigner, a lot of them, there's this questioning look, like, will he join us? Is he an insider or an outsider? And if I made something of a, you know, any little shaking my head, no, they would back off immediately. But when I smile and nod, they get really excited. Everybody comes up and dumps water on me too. And uh, I feel included. I'm, I'm a participant in this society and they've let me in through this little ritual. Well, today's talk is about the ministry of inclusion, taking an outsider and helping them become an insider. Uh, and, you know, deciding who is an outsider is part of every tribe's uh, essential work because it's, uh, it's how they survive as tribes. And this is true whether we're talking about a literal tribe or whether we're talking about our nation. You know, the question of who is a citizen of the Philippines, who is a citizen of the United States, who's in, who's out, who has to ask permission and who doesn't, who can own property, uh, who must serve in the armed forces and who does not have to. And there are just all these questions. Who's an insider and who's an outsider? And that's true also in churches and also in friendship circles. Well, as our passage opens in Acts chapter 9, Uh, we see the central figure in the second half of the New Testament, and that is the Apostle Paul. And um, he was as much of an outsider as a first century man could possibly be. He didn't want to be an insider. He hated this group of Jesus followers. He thought they were a cult. He thought that they they needed to be stamped out, that they were bringing false doctrine into the pure Jewish faith. And he was working with all his zeal to jail them and kill them and purge the synagogue from these people. He was excluding them. He was saying, you're not true Jews. You need to get out. Get out from among us. And uh, he was as much an outsider as he could make himself to be. uh, Full of religious pride. But then here comes God. And God knocks him off his horse as he's approaching Damascus, Syria, with his letters 
to allow him to go into every Jewish synagogue and examine who was there and question the people's faith and find out who believed in Jesus and haul them off to prison and purge the synagogues of these Jesus followers. And God knocked him off his horse, showed him his error, revealed his spiritual pride and his spiritual blindness and uh, just totally reversed his life. Paul had never even conceived for one minute that he might have been wrong at what he was doing. And this this shook him uh, and he, he repented. He went away for three days, didn't eat any food after this event. And he just you know was in a time of mourning over his sins. And furthermore, God had struck him blind. And so Paul is just laying in a house, not eating anything, so distraught inside because now he realizes he's been persecuting precious, innocent, God-loving people and that he was the one who saw it wrong and that Jesus is Lord and that when he persecutes the people of Jesus, he's actually wounding Jesus. He's persecuting Jesus himself. And so here's Paul, an outsider, now realizing that he is totally wrong and he is wanting to repent and he's wanting to change. And God calls a man and the man's name is Ananias and Ananias is a prophet. He's a disciple. He's a follower of God in that city. He's one of Paul's targets. Paul would have been after Ananias, Paul would have arrested Ananias or had him stoned on the spot. He would have done whatever he could do against Ananias. And God calls Ananias and he says, Ananias, I want you to get up and I want you to go down to Straight Street. And I want you to find a man whose name is Judah, Judas, and I want you to knock on his door and I want you to ask for Saul of Tarsus who is inside that house and Saul is praying to me even right now. And he has been, this Greek verb says something you just keep on doing. Paul is in prayer and he just keeps on praying and crying out to me. And in a vision, I've shown him you, I showed him Ananias coming and putting hands on him so he can receive his sight. And Ananias says, Lord, I have concerns about this. I have heard so many things about this man. I've heard what he does to people. Verse 15, God says, you know, God receives that. He listens to him. He says, no, go. He's not what you think he is. He's changed. You know, horrible people can change. It's the, you know, that's the core of the gospel is about transformation and how people can change. And so God speaks to Ananias and he says, he's changed. He's He's mine. He's mine now. I have a special calling for him. And I want you to go. And I want you to minister to him. And tell him the message that I give you for him. Well, what does Ananias do? He doesn't argue with God. He doesn't, you know, God doesn't have to do anything extra to make him go. Ananias is an obedient son. And so he goes in the father's wishes to do the ministry of inclusion. And that's really what I want to talk about today. And I want us to look at six things Ananias did at, in the ministry of inclusion. The first thing is in verse 17, Ananias initiated action. If God calls you 
to be a minister of inclusion to somebody, you don't wait for them to come and ask to be included. You go to them. You help them get into the group. And you know, there's a lot of people that they come near a Christian circle because Christian circles are no different than other friendship circles. There's a lot of times that they are very tight and that's beautiful. But when a visitor tries to come in or a new person tries to enter, you know, he or she does not have those years of experience with this group and they, they don't find an easy way to get inside. I mean, we shouldn't make people fight to get inside of a, uh, you know, a, a group of, for Christian nurture. And we have to remind Christians of that sometimes, that you need to invite, make space. You know, if someone is introduced, stop your talking and focus on the new person. So here goes Ananias, and he initiates action. An initiator will speak first, move first, uh, invite first, and invite many times if he needs to before, just because he really, really, really wants that person to be included. And Ananias does that. He initiates it. Uh, Verse 17 says, Ananias physically touched him. Whatever the um, acceptable forms of touch are in your culture, you need to practice it. It's part of ministry. You know, if, if your words say uh, sister or brother or, or even if they're not Christians and you want to invite them and include them in your circle, I learned that from Filipinos. They just include people, people that you would never dream they would include, but they do. And it's uh, many times it becomes salvation through inclusion. But part of being included is that people don't just say you're included and their body language says the opposite. In Ananias' case, he says, brother, you're included. And as he does that, he's touching Paul. You know, he's, he's, he's physically touching him. We need to do that. It's part of, of bringing someone to us and pulling them into our group. You give them the same form of greeting that you give the others and, and they feel the difference. And so he brought him in that way. Third thing he does is he, in verse 17, he opens his mouth and his language is, is a language of inclusion. He says, Brother Saul, Brother Saul? You know, Saul's never wanted to be their brother. And Ananias says, well, you're my brother now. His language, his tone is a tone of inclusion and grace and acceptance. And I have had, I had a great experience of this actually many times in my life. But one time that really swept me off my feet. You know, Sherry and I had been doing church planting and uh, seminary work for 20 years. And we had our whole friendship circle was was in that arena. And I felt like I was supposed to explore media work, uh, media ministry, become a media missionary. And I didn't know anybody in that field and I didn't know anything about it. And so I went from an area where, you know, I had an earned doctorate and I was the I was an expert on certain things and now I was going to become a baby who doesn't know anything about the field that he's serving in and go back in time 25 years. And I, I attended a conference with a group I didn't know anything about. And I entered the lobby on the first day. And I'm introverted, so I never look forward to, you know, big rooms full of strangers. I want to find a friend or two and, and make myself meet people, you know, but... So I took a deep breath and I entered this room and here's this guy, uh, I'm five foot ten and here, here's a guy that's about six five, maybe bigger, 
big New Zealander, and he stands there, and I walked in the door, and he says, Brother! And he he wraps his arms around me, and I mean, he could wrap his arms completely around me and touch his own shoulders, you know, he's just so huge. Brother! And then he like lifted a little bit, lifted me up, and he says, uh, you're one of us now. And he brought me over into the board, you know, that of that ministry. And from that moment, I really was one of them. And they laid hands on me, and they prayed and prophesied over me, and then it didn't take long for them to ask me to join the board. And I had a beautiful seven-year experience in ministry with that group, United Christian Broadcasters, and uh, serving on the board there. And it was all because Gary Hoogfleet reached out his arms to me and pulled me into this group in such a strong way, and others did also. The ministry of inclusion, it makes all the difference. You can change a person's whole path of life just by, I mean, that moment, if I'd gotten a little bit of a, you know, earn your way into our trust, if I'd gotten that signal instead, I probably would have held back, gone to the conference, learned a lot, and then still been searching for what I should do. But just that moment of inclusion, he changed everything about my path. So, first three things. Initiate action, touch, and use a language and tone of acceptance and inclusion. Fourth thing. Ananias states his mission clearly. Paul, I have come here so you can receive your sight and so you can be filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, If you know, state your intentions. If something needs to be said, get it out in the open uh, and say what needs to be said. If someone has had bad character before, if there are some questions about something and that's why this person is not being welcomed so warmly, if you need to bring that up, you need to bring it up. You know, things need to, you know, come out of the shadows. Let's tell the truth and talk and reestablish you, you in fellowship. Fifth thing, Ananias did, is to perform an open ritual of inclusion. He baptizes Paul. Now, this wasn't something Jews did. This is a Christian ritual. And by this ritual, Paul has to decide if he's going to partake of it. Because it's not a Jewish thing. It means you have changed your people. And Jews did it to Gentiles so they would become Jews. Now, here's Paul, you know, a Jew's Jew. And Ananias is saying... You need to be baptized, and Paul has to make up his mind if he's willing to take the step and to step out in public and make covenant with these people. It's kind of like a wedding ceremony. You know, for you to move into another family and merge your life with another family's life, we have this open ceremony. You don't, it's not just the couple themselves does some secret talk among themselves in a car somewhere and they're married. We make them do it out in public. It's a big step. And there are, you know, there's a lot of ramifications once you enter the new group. So it's up to Paul to accept it. But there is a system for inclusion. You repent, you call on the name of the Lord, and you are baptized. And baptism is your bath. Baptism is like a new birth. You're coming out of a bag of waters. Baptism is like a grave for your old life. It gets buried. And baptism is a promise of um, resurrection. That you don't have to fear death because the Lord who's conquered death now baptizes you into his life. And he will come back even for your body and raise you up again. Well, the final part of the ritual 
Uh, and the final thing that Ananias does is they eat food together. Table fellowship is an important part of being uh, in a group. Verse 19 says they, they ate together, and Paul immediately now, having been baptized, enters Christian fellowship in Damascus. The scales fall from his eyes. He realizes how wrong he has been, and he is filled with the Holy Spirit, because that's why Ananias comes there. And now Paul joins, verse 19, joins the disciples. He becomes one of them. And that was really important because Christian fellowship and Christian doctrine are all wrapped up together. You know, Paul's had his, he's got a whole series of doctrines. Paul's an intellectual and he can uh, systematize his theology and his system has been messed up. And Paul can't fix this just by studying more theology. He needs to see the incarnation of the Christian truth. He needs to see it lived out. He needs to understand it done in community because that's how Christian doctrine is properly transmitted. And so now here's Paul in a, in a spiritual community, God's people, the church, embracing him, and he's listening to the word of God. His mind has been unlocked by his experience. He's had a paradigm shift. And now all the Bible starts to realign itself in meaning inside his mind. And he, a rabbi, again goes back to study the word of God, the Old Testament, and also now to study the words of Christ, which the Christian community uh, had held and had written and was holding on to. And Paul can study the, the sayings of Jesus and he can study the Old Testament and he begins to get revelation, new revelation from the word of God, and he can't contain his enthusiasm. He's a Jew. He believes he understands Judaism properly now, and that now he gets it, and that it was all in the all in the uh, Old Testament anyway. And certainly all Jews need to understand about God's plan for them and God's plan in sending their Messiah. So Paul the rabbi, verse 20, starts going to local synagogues, and he preaches from synagogue to synagogue, verse 22, proving that Jesus was the Old Testament Messiah and confounding the expectations, creating amazement um, among the Jewish people. And they are saying, verse 21, isn't, the, isn't this the one who destroyed those who called on the name of Jesus in Jerusalem and he came here to do it again? Uh, they can't believe that he has become a follower. But what's happening they are seeing the gospel. They're seeing transformation. The heart of the gospel is a promise of change. And Paul has received the gospel and he's been changed by it. Uh, this turns to be the most important event in the Christian movement after the day of Pentecost. Uh, and the form of Christianity that most of the world's Gentile believers follow today comes directly from the missionary actions and even the writings of the Apostle Paul. So sometimes the person that you include turns out to be more important in the story uh, than maybe your part was. We don't know much about Ananias. Uh, he continues to have a ministry in the church, but he doesn't write. We don't have books written by him. He doesn't travel as widely as Paul did. He does not create the movement that Paul generated, and yet Paul's inclusion into this group owes itself to Ananias reaching out and bringing him into the Christian family. So you never know what your little obedience can do, and 
You never know what the person that you include can become in the body of Christ and in God's plans for the world later. So, let's all be um, on the lookout for people that we can help get into our group, get, you know, become an insider, take outsiders and bring them in and help them to get into the central fellowship circles that they need to get into. May the Lord help you and me both to, uh, to do this ministry as effectively as Ananias did. That's all for now. If you want to write me directly, my personal email is chuck at quinley.com. Love to hear from you. And if you enjoy the Thread Podcast, you know, it's one of the few places on the web where you can get a verse-by-verse Bible study for leaders. And I, we craft these with leaders in mind. It's the kind of mind food that a person needs to have in order for their life to be an influence over others. So that's what this is all about. Please share the news. Let others know about Thread Podcast as well. See you next time on Thread. Thread is the broadcast of Dr. Chuck Quinley. Log on to Quinley.com. 